1: Every week, we see a stream of news stories about opioid addiction, drug overdoses, and mental health issues. People from teens to seniors coping with stress, burnout, depression, anxiety, loneliness, and suicidal ideation. Indeed, we live in an age of anxiety. And while there are numerous recovery programs and treatments, it seems as if the problems are growing and the solutions are insufficient. In today's episode, we talk with Asher Rabinowitz, a New York State licensed clinical social worker and credential counselor who has worked in the field of alcohol and substance abuse treatment for the past 28 years. Over the course of his career working with thousands of individuals, he's developed an incisive approach to recovery, which he aptly calls simple, but not easy. Plainspoken and passionate, Asher explains his new system of the ABCs of recovery, mnemonic device of awareness, boundaries and consequences, and how it differs from other approaches. He'll talk about how he has used storytelling as an unusually powerful therapeutic tool. And he'll tackle the challenge that many individuals face who successfully complete their recovery programs. That is, how to take it with them to the outside world. So now let's meet our guest, Asher Rabinowitz. Asher, welcome to the show.
2: Thanks, Ron. It's, it's really great to be with you. And uh, it's, uh, I'm looking forward to spreading the word about the ABCs of recovery.
1: Right, right. So uh, this is something that really has intrigued me, as I mentioned in the intro. Um, it really, you know, issues of mental health and substance abuse are really a pervasive thing today in our society. And um, but I, I particularly liked uh, your approach when I met you. You're very plain spoken. I think it's a terrific approach. And and also, uh, you know, given the nature of my show, forty five forward. I'm always interested in the individual careers of people who were, who have had interesting paths. So I just wanted to start a little bit, you know, with just your path. I understand you you started off or at some point you were a cantor earlier in life, and uh, just how you started from there to where you are now, and what what you've learned along the way.
2: Well, that's correct. Um, uh, I come from a traditional background. Actually, my my father was a rabbi. Mm-hmm. So I started out from a spiritual place, you might say. Nice. Okay. Uh, I, attended, I attended the parochial schools and eventually um, graduated Yeshiva University in New York uh, and the Cantor's Institute, and I took a particular fondness to singing and music and uh, communal service. So the logical extension of my early education was to become a clergy person, uh, specifically a cantor and a teacher. Mm -hmm. And for about two decades, that's exactly what I was doing. Now, um, from there, in the early 90s, I began thinking of uh, repurposing myself, you might say. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, And I decided to extend what I was doing from the clergy to the general community in the form of social work. So here I was uh, uh, by the mid-1990s, um, a full-fledged social worker, finished the State University of Stony Brook, and then three postmaster's certificates for good measure, and mm-hmm. um, went into the idea that I was going to help people, not just... Uh, in the sense of, you know, uh, the synagogue in the narrow confines of the synagogue, but in the larger arena of people who had real uh, pressing issues, dilemmas, substance treatment, mental health issues uh, across the spectrum from young people through seniors. And so uh, pretty much that's, that's how it began.
1: Yeah, yeah. That's great. That's great. So um, now there are lots of different approaches to um, these sorts of treatments, uh, and and we'll get into your ABCs of recovery shortly. But I'm just curious who uh, who were your influences in, in terms of developing? You've been you know working in this field for you know, almost three decades, um, and you sort of consolidated a lot of your thinking in recent years to this to your ABCs. But who influenced you in terms of your development?
2: Well, that's. Uh... That would be uh, there's one person in particular, um, and that would be Dr. Abraham Twersky, mm-hmm. a psychiatrist and uh, a Hasidic rabbi of all mm-hmm. things, and the founder of the Gateway Rehab Center in Pennsylvania in the early '70s, which became a very prominent um, place for people to get treatment for substance uh, substance use. And Dr. Twersky um, had the uh, the distinction of not only being a great psychiatrist, a published author in many forms, um, and a great speaker, but his 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 bearing was unique because he had a long white beard, huh. big, he had big black big black coat, kind of reminds you of a an Amish farmer, a displaced Amish farmer going into the uh, lecture hall. And lecturing to all these professors and psychiatrists and doctors, and it was interesting. So, uh, number one, he came from a place that I was familiar with, so that made sense. Mm -hmm. And then, and then I said to myself, "Self, uh, (laughs) hey, here's this guy who looks like this, and he comes from this place. What do you think of that?" I said, "Well, that makes sense to me. Maybe I could do that too. If he could do it, that's okay with me." And So I decided that this could be a path, a path for me. Uh, After finishing the schools and after doing all that, I chose to specialize in substance abuse based on the idea that not only could I help people generally, but also spiritually. And that's the message that he gave me. Mm -hmm. And the curious thing about him and his work was he was very familiar with Charles Schultz, And Charles Schultz, as everyone or someone may not know, is a famous cartoon strip uh, creator of Peanuts. Right. And Peanuts is, of course, very well known for Charlie Brown and Lucy and Linus and all these wonderful characters that we are always engaged with uh, when we look at the at the comics, as they call them, uh, mm-hmm. or, or even in books. And in that vein, Dr. Tversky used Charles Schultz's comic strips to, to do therapy. And he has a few books, one in particular, When Do the Good Things Begin? Uh, is exclusively full of peanut strips with Dr. Tversky's interpretations, insights, psychological insights, uh, that's one of many books. Uh, and so I decided to adapt that same idea and I also used uh, the peanut strips to illustrate uh, significant concepts that people would engage with, easier for them to understand. And so I gleaned that uh, that concept from Dr. Twersky. And finally, he used to wear special ties, and on the ties he wore, with the beard and the black coat, were ties emblazoned with the peanuts characters. Mm. Charlie Brown and, and Linus, all these characters were on the ties. And you looked at him and you knew there was something unique about Dr. <laughs> Twersky. So I liked i liked the man insofar as he was original. I like originals. And I admired his accomplishments because he was focused and he was uh, successful. So right. he was one of the models for me.
1: Right. Yeah, I find it interesting, too, that you mentioned uh, Peanuts, because I think one of the characters, right, uh, I don't know if he had a tie for her, but, it's, right, Lucy, right, when she has, sits behind, she goes, the doctor is in, right? She goes,
2: <laughs> that's in the book. That's in the, uh, That's in the. Uh, when do the good things happen, or right. start, that's the cover of that right.
1: book. Interesting, interesting. Um, so we have a lot to talk about, so I want to just get right into it. Um, your ABCs of recovery. That, uh, so, just tell us a little bit about the system. About you know, as I mentioned in the intro, you know, yes, it has a mnemonic sequence of awareness, boundaries, and consequences. So let's 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 uh, talk about that a bit.
2: Sure, sure. This is the heart and soul of uh, what I'm about right now, and I think I've got something that will benefit many people, from young folk all the way up to seniors. And the reason I say that with such confidence is because I've treated them all Mm -hmm. and I continue to treat them. And I have treated, uh, spent time with the adolescent population and I continue to treat seniors, even people 70 years old who are back four or five times for the same problem. Mm -hmm. So what I have to offer is awareness boundaries, and consequences. That's the mnemonic, you mm-hmm. know? But I, um, and so the two things that are necessary to understand about awareness is, number one, that in order to be aware, you have to recognize that there's something wrong. <laughs> right. I had somebody come in the other day and she's sitting in the group. And she yeah, she's mid, I have 40s, 50s, and I say to her, so what brings you here? You're a new patient. What brings you to this group this evening? And she says, I'm oh, a husband. Nah. I say, hmm, that's very interesting. I must spend some time right now to disabuse you of the notion that it is your husband that has caused you to be here tonight. And so she's looking at me like I have two horns on my head. And I launched into this thing and explained to her that the reason she's in treatment is because she has a problem. Now, that doesn't sound like much, except for the fact that she thinks it's her husband. So perhaps she thinks her being in treatment is a mistake. Perhaps it's it's what you call it, an accident, or, or maybe just pure bad luck. No, mm-hmm. so I must say, my dear, the problem here is that you got a problem. You don't have an accident. You don't have bad luck. And it's not a mistake. Right. Now she says, what, what's, this, what's all this talk about? I said, well, I'll just t- touch this off with a little clinical idea. You know, we have a, a Bible in the mental health field, and the Bible is called the DSM. And in the DSM, which stands for the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Health Disorders, that's a mouthful, so we'll call it DSM. So DSM has no designation for mistakes. She looks at me puzzled. No, no, you see, if the reason you were here was a mistake, I would see it It would say mild mistake. Mm -hmm. It would say moderate mistake or perhaps severe mistake but it doesn't have any one of those modifiers and it doesn't have that category. Therefore we have an issue. What's the issue? Um, the issue is that we have to understand it's a problem. Okay. Once you understand it's a problem, you get that aha moment that, Ooh, I just got this one of We go, to the part where she has to own it. Now it's your, not your husband. Okay. So here's awareness, it's two parts. First, the First, it's a problem, and you. second, you have to own it. Once we arrive at these ideas, it's not a mistake, it's not an accident, and it's not bad luck. Then we set the stage to go to boundaries. Boundaries are the things that will prevent consequences. So we can't prevent anything until we get the aha moment and we say, "Oh, it's a problem. What is a problem? Something that recurs. Mistakes do not happen every week. Accidents don't happen every week. Bad luck doesn't occur every week, but problems do. That's the import of awareness. I got a problem. It keeps happening. I'm gonna fess up to it. And then I set the stage for boundaries. Now, when we move to boundaries, that's what will create, will give us the impetus to prevent consequences and to protect what I call the investment. So boundaries like awareness have a double connotation or a double two-sided thing. Number one, the boundaries are going to prevent consequences because I'm going to take responsible action. I will not go to the people. I will not go to the places. I won't do the things that got me here in the first place, the things that got me into this problem. That will prevent consequences. The second thing regarding protecting the investment, that part will be taken care of when you understand that you got here for a reason. Number one, there was love and sacrifice that went into clothing you, educating you, and feeding you and bringing you to this day that you're mm-hmm. in treatment. Somebody did that for you. We need a little gratitude here. And now what will you do? You must invest yourself in order to live a recovery lifestyle, which is ultimately the goal of the ABCs. So mm-hmm. here we are from awareness to boundaries, and we will realize that the core investment is ourself, mm-hmm. and we must protect it. So let's understand by a quick analogy That offense not only keeps things out, but it keeps desirable things in. It prevents consequences, keeps them out, and it protects the investment. It keeps the core investment of you there. And so I say to my patients, when I leave them after a session, I say, take care and protect the investment. And they understand this concept because self-esteem is so important and they need that. It's in short supply in the substance abuse treatment field and so they appreciate that so fundamentally the goal is recovery lifestyle but once you get the formula it's a plus B minus C awareness plus boundaries prevents minus C consequences and that's the sum coming
1: right great and that's a good uh, boundary to uh, hesitate for a second uh, because we're gonna we need to take a break Uh, But, folks, uh, don't go away, because we have much more to talk about with with, uh, Asher Rabinowitz. Uh, So come right back.
3: Want to see what Voice America is up to behind the scenes? Follow us on TikTok at Voice America Talk Radio. On Next at the Mike Radio, Voice America producer and host Bonnie D invites you to eavesdrop on her live, unscripted conversations with Voice America's longtime new and upcoming hosts. Tune in as she uncovers what makes them tick, where they find their inspiration, how they define success, handle challenges, and more to inspire you to think out of the box and find your own mic. Enjoy Bonnie D's always lively spotlight conversations on Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time. 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Ooh, how those lips can talk. channel the internet's number one talk station number one talk station VoiceAmerica.com.
0: you're listening to 45 forward to reach ron roel or his guest on the program please send an email to ron.roel at gmail.com that's ron.roel at gmail.com Now back to 45 Forward. Welcome back,
1: folks, where we're talking today with Asher Rabenowitz, a clinical social worker and substance abuse counselor for almost three decades who has developed a fascinating approach to what he calls the ABCs of recovery. So before the break, Asher, we were talking, you had given us an outline of the ABCs, of awareness, boundaries, and consequences. And you've talked to me before in some of our conversations about an approach that basically goes you know, uh, transitions from harm reduction to an emphasis on the recovery lifestyle. Talk a little bit more about that to find what you're talking about.
2: Well, uh, the idea here is that uh, person-centered treatment, which is very much in vogue, meaning meet the client, meet the patient where he or she is at is, mm-hmm. is critical. Engagement is critical. All these factors are important in in helping people who come to treatment for issues surrounding substance use. Now, harm reduction and recovery lifestyle need get defined. So okay. I will first define when we talk about harm reduction, what are we talking about? It is not about a quick fix. Rather, it's a blueprint for living. Okay, We've got to get that straight. So what is harm reduction, simply it reduces the duration, the intensity, and the quantity of substance use. So for example, um, let's say I'm going to indulge in some opioid, whether it's a pill, whether it's an injection, and I really want to get into a, a high. But wonder of wonders, I overdosed. Now what? Well, don't worry. Just pull out your handy dandy nasal spray of Narcan, shoot it up your nose, and bingo, you're back in business. No problem. Uh Uh-huh. This is called harm reduction. Okay? Now, what this means is a quick fix, and you're back in action. But it's not a recovery lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Because who knows what will happen tomorrow. Perhaps you'll just repeat the same scenario. Now, let's look at what is, let's define a recovery lifestyle. A recovery lifestyle uh, involves many things. A half a dozen, just at, at, at first blush, I would think uh, nut- proper nutrition, proper sleep, getting sufficient exercise, as well as doing things that will promote your success in life. Mm -hmm. Education, vocation, avocation, you know, your hobbies and so forth. All of these things contribute to recovery lifestyle. It's not a shot of Narcan up your nose. No way, there is no quick fix. There is no band-aid for recovery lifestyle. So there you have in a nutshell, the quick difference. Now, where does it leave you? Recovery lifestyle begins where harm reduction leaves off. Okay. So it's very simple. Mm -hmm. Harm reduction is going to keep you alive, you know, but what else? It's not enough to prevent you going to the hospital. We need to promote the concept of wellness. That's what we want in a recovery lifestyle. It's not enough to simply resuscitate someone from an overdose, like we were saying with Narcan. We need to develop boundaries to prevent these types of consequences. So if you want to move beyond harm reduction, you need to practice the ABCs of recovery. It's that simple, you see. Uh, If you want success beyond harm reduction, practice the ABCs. That's what you need to do. I've written uh, back in 2000, back in 2009, in the Journal of Social Work and the Addictions, uh, an essay on just on that topic, success beyond harm reduction. How do we do it? And I, there I map out a whole strategy of, for counselors of what they should do in order to be more successful. And, and that, so essentially that's the difference between the two, between harm reduction and the recovery lifestyle.
1: Right. Yeah, I think that one of the things that, um, you know, uh, disturbs me is, you know, when you look at a lot of approaches today, it is about harm reduction and it's all about harm reduction through use of medications, which I'm not saying it's not okay, that, but it's like, okay, you have anxiety, hey, let's try this med. Oh, you have depression, oh, let's try this med. Oh, you're bipolar, let's try this med. And sometimes then you have a cocktail of meds, and okay, so that may, as you said, it, it may stabilize you, but it doesn't really take you, uh, as you and I have talked in the past, beyond the programs to to the recovery lifestyle and to you know what you refer to as portability, which I think that's an important notion. So, so d- d- explain a bit more about how you uh, talk about portability and what that means when you. Mm-hmm. Well,
2: Well, the the portable factor means that you have within you the capacity to do what you need to do. Now, I agree, and I I will absolutely concur that if you have co-occurring disorders, if you have mental health, health issues, they must be stabilized whether it's an adolescent, whether it's an adult, whether it's a senior, you got to be stable before you come to treatment and outpatient because it's about your ability to to understand the treatment, you know. Um, And this is not a small thing. I mean, I once Mm -hmm. had a patient, I I will digress just for a second. Sure. I once had a patient uh, who was obese, morbidly obese, And so much so, I had to make special scales for him. I had to purchase. I wanted to help him, but it was very hard because his literacy was low, and therefore he couldn't participate in a program. Hmm. So for him, he couldn't even take to The the medical establishment wouldn't even help him. So the problem is we need something portable. We need something somebody can have with him and not have to, to, to depend that I must go to rehab. I must have this. Uh, uh, you know, this other kind of treatment. Portability, you know, I had one patient who said to me, you know, when I go to the self-help meetings, I have to depend upon them. I have to depend upon my sponsor. I I always do that. But with the ABCs, I can take them with me after I leave the meeting. And that, in a nutshell, is, I would say that is the importance of having something that is portable now i mean specifically you know talking about that now there are different issues involved here for example again we talked about it i think also the concept of uh, the music in you right people have a certain part of them that's in them this goes along with portability it's all got to be in you and we shouldn't if what it means is don't go to a nightclub where the, the where the, the floorboards are reverberating with the bass to get excited. The music should be in you. Don't go there for that reason. You have the capacity to experience peace of mind when you're wrong. You don't have to that kind of excitement. Um, don't look for an external fix to an internal problem. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just look at The Wizard of Oz. I mean, it's very clear. Uh, these these characters, this is very well known, and uh, they all needed an external fix. The lion needed courage, and the tin man needed a heart to get his emotions. He wanted to, to feel human emotions, and finally the, the scarecrow wanted brains. So they all went to the wizard, and the wizard decided on an external fix for these characters. He gave the scarecrow a diploma. In lieu of brains, mm-hmm. he gave the lion a medal. He planted the medal like the Croix de Guerre or something on him and said, now you're okay. You've got courage. And for the tin man, he he gave him a, a, a clock in the shape of a heart that was ticking. So he could hear. He says, can you hear it ticking? You're good now. And these are all things that are external fixes that do not improve the internal problem. Mm -hmm. So they were just, in a sense, they were deceived, or shall I say, self-deceived. This is the key word. We're always fooling ourselves. You know, the Romans said, they always said, uh, uh, I forget this. Um, What did they say? Uh, I'll get it. It'll come back. Pardon me. Um, But... um, that we deceive the world wants to do de- mundus volt deceive ergo Tour. in other words the world loves to deceive itself so let it mm-hmm. and this is what these characters did this is the importance of the wizard of oz in this in this context of looking for the outside when it's really got to be the music in you um the second idea is the second concept of portability is you need to have the power to say no versus the power to no. Know. K-N-O-W versus N-O. So if you look at this, Kenny Rogers had this Grammy-winning song called The Gambler. Everybody knows it. Whenever I present it to the group, everybody right. sings the chorus because it's so much, it, it's just so natural. And the song is a natural to to, to, to give a, a message. And that message is, that message is, it's four times in, in the course it's mentioned to know. You gotta know when to hold them, you gotta know when to fold them, you gotta know when to walk away, when to run. So the four times in two lines, K-N-O-W. But never, it didn't say N-O. So let me interject and say, each one of those K-N-O-Ws is about awareness. We got to know we got a problem. We got Mm -hmm. to know it's our problem, and we got to know we got to do something about it. You got to know when to hold them, you got to know when to fold them. That's awareness. You got to know when to walk away and run. That is the power to say no. And oh, that's a boundary. That's how boundaries prevent consequences. If you walk away from the table and you leave the table, you can prevent the consequence of losing all your money. Quite simple. And the gambler is such an appropriate analogy for this idea that I couldn't resist using it. Um, And I think to sum it up, we have to say without awareness, we can't recognize the protection that boundaries provide. And without boundaries, we can't prevent the consequences that result from our actions. It's really simple. It's that simple. We can't, right. you must have A, you must have B. You don't go to, to second base. Before, when you hit the ball, you, that's not the sequence. The sequence is A plus B minus C. That's right. the, the formula. Okay. Right. Now, finally, there is, along the lines of this issue of portability, there's the issue of the paradox of freedom, what I call. And that is the idea that there's a freedom that most people think means escape. That's why they use substances. That's why they smoke, and that's why they drink, and that's why they shoot up, because they need to escape the stress of life, Mm -hmm. the stress of regular life, the stress of normal life. There's nothing pathological here. It's a simple matter. You don't want that stress. So what needs to be done is not the easier thing. The easier thing is to smoke and to drink and to have a good time, get high, etc. The harder thing is to be responsible, to make boundaries that will prevent consequences. The easy thing is to say, I came here tonight because my husband wants me here. Oh, there's no responsibility about me. I don't have a problem. I'm cool. Ah, uh, that won't work. That won't work. But what will work is to do the harder thing. You can't always do the easier. The easier thing is something... That we'll discuss perhaps if you have a chance yep. uh, in, in, in later in a couple of questions. But fundamentally, these are the elements, the three elements that comprise portability, that you take it with you. You cannot escape into a drug. You must be responsible. Take that responsibility. Own it. Second, you are the one that says no. You are the one that must recognize awareness. Okay, And finally, don't look. For an external fix to an internal problem. you know, Don't say it's my, uh, you know, it's like what Flip Wilson used to say in the old days. He said, The devil made me do it. Uh-huh. No, I don't think so. I don't think the devil made you do it at all. I think the devil's in you, right? right. We each have that, that good angel and that so called evil angel sitting on our shoulders telling us what to do, but it's up to us to make the difference.
1: Right. So uh, we do have a lot more to talk about in our final segment. Um, uh, So we'll get there in a minute. But uh, I I just want to make sure uh, before we come into a break, Asher, that I'm sure that a lot of questions might be uh, bubbling up in people's minds. Um, We don't have a call-in show today, but we may have in the future. But if people do want to get in touch with you, um, what's the best way to do that to you know pursue this line of thinking?
2: Well, I I would suggest um, certainly. I would welcome inquiries, welcome questions uh, about the model, about the application of it, presentations and so forth. Uh, If it's okay with you, Ron, uh, it certainly would be a good idea that if they could um, use your uh, website to ask questions, voice concerns, and that sort of thing. I I would like that if that would be possible. And uh, at the same time, if, they want to contact me, uh, I do have um, a Google uh, address that they could do that. And if I give that to you now, would that be okay? Uh,
1: That'd be fine. That,
2: that would be Asher, that's A-S-H-E-R-R-A-B, Rab, 2018, 018 at gmail.com.
1: Great. So I, I will just say that... Uh, People can um, send me an email to my website, uh, roellresources.com. That email gets me. You can also email me directly, ron.roell at gmail.com. And I can uh, relay questions to Asher. Also, uh, on on my Roell Resources website, uh, you you press the 45 forward tab, and you can see all my shows, including the, the most recent one, with Asher, and uh, you could click on his episode there, and then your contact information will be there as well. So there are multiple ways to get to you. So uh, anyway, but we do have a lot more to talk about. There's a lot more to your model and to your thoughts. So folks, we're going to take another quick break, but don't go away. We have one more segment with Asher Rabinowitz.
3: America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. It is time to change the negative narrative of divorce. Families are hungry for a different option. Listen to The Good Divorce Show with Karen McNinney. You will discover how to function as one family living in two homes. There are high-functioning, stable, and happy divorce families living in your neighborhood. What's their secret sauce? What did their journey look like? Do they have regrets or recommendations? Let's find out. It's never too late to have a good divorce. The Good Divorce Show, Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel.
0: Tune in to the Patricia Raskin Show on VoiceAmerica.com every Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time. You're listening to 45 Forward. To reach Ron Roel or his guest on the program, please send an email to ron.roel at gmail.com. That's ron.roel at gmail.com. Now back to 45 Forward.
1: Welcome back, folks. We are talking with Asher Rabinowitz, a social worker and substance abuse counselor who has developed a fascinating approach to recovery called the ABCs of Recovery. We were talking about several dimensions of it before the break. And as we continue, I wanted to just ask Asher a bit about um, his observations about um, substance abuse among different age groups. You know, so our show is 45 forward, but it involves people, you know, as the show talks about. Our theme is uh, making a second half of life, even as vital as your first, but it's an intergenerational approach. So I wanted to just get your thoughts um, quickly about the differences among different age groups. Um, and then f- and we'll, for the final thoughts about what I mentioned in our introduction about storytelling as approach to each of these groups.
2: Yeah. Um, I would like to sum it up uh, succinctly. Mm-hmm. So let's sum it up in, in one word. We have three groups. I categorize the first as the teen group, the adolescent group, the second as adults, which is a much wider range. Mm -hmm. And finally, we have seniors, which we, we know are a vital and important group, but they're also included when it comes to treating for substance use. Now, in the teen category, the one word to be aware, what's the problem with teens? Cognition cognition. That means the ability to make responsible decisions. And as we know, we talked about making boundaries to prevent consequences. And therefore, we must be cognitively aware. Now, for a team, that means they got, got to make a good decision. But we know that the ABA and the AMA, the, the Bar Association and, and the Medical Association have ruled that under 18, you can't do capital punishment. Why? Because the brain is not fully formed until perhaps in your mid-20s. So because the cognitive aspect of the brain, which is located up here in the frontal lobe, behind your forehead, that is the, the part of the brain that partakes in executive functions, among others. But to make it simple, that's where it's at. The last that is the last part to develop in the teen mind, in the teen brain. That's the way teens are. Therefore, they are not as responsible until they get older. Therefore, we have to treat them according to the cognitive challenges that they they have. And this is this is this is the issue for the teen. So they need stabilization, we stabilize them and so on and so forth. They can't get to the ABCs, and it won't help them until they are stabilized, and perhaps it takes a little longer too. That's mm-hmm. why awareness is such a process. Awareness, if even if you are fully cognitive, cognizant of what you're thinking and doing, it still takes time. It's not only about the maturation of the gray matter in your head, it's about are you capable of living a lifestyle of recovery? <laughs> Harm reduction will fit, but harm reduction will only go so far. The second category is adults, much larger category. If we have to pick one word, we would say stress. That categorizes the nature of an adult. Ah, we all have stress, to be sure we do, but the adult has the stress of the mortgage, the stress of the family, the stress of building a career. All of these things are unique to the adult phase. And therefore, these are the things that will interfere or impede treatment, and need to be considered when we deal with with such people. So, when we're dealing with adults, all of that. Now, Hans Selye was the fellow who introduced us to the concept of stress in the 1950s. He was a researcher and a doctor who explained in his 1956 book called The Stress of Life, which was an international bestseller, and he himself was nominated 17 times for the Nobel Prize. Why he didn't win, I don't know, but he published 33 books and he published 100 articles, so he knew what he was talking about. Mm -hmm. Dr. Selya talked about an axis that had four prongs. One was too much stress, one was too little, one was good stress, one was bad stress. Now, what has that got to do with what I'm talking about? Simple. In order for the adult to cope with stress successfully, the stresses we talked about, the employment stress, the educational stress, the family stress, he's got to recognize where does he go on this continuum? Where is he, does he belong? How does he know he's got too much? How does he know he's got too little? How does he know what's good and how does he know what's bad? And Celia explained that the stress is the spice of life. Hmm. Don't be afraid of stress. Don't be afraid of stress. Stress won't kill you necessarily, at least not the right kind. So I love to ask my, my clients, how many times does your heart beat in a day? And they say, oh. I say, how about 100,000 times? I say, Ooh, that's a lot. I say, yes, it is. Is that good or bad? Oh, my God, that's a question. I'm not sure. I say, it's happening every day. If you have 110, it's bad. If you have 90, excuse me, if you have 90, it's also bad. You need to be in the middle, just where nature puts you. If you're not there, you got a problem. Mm-hmm. So stress means knowing where you fit in this continuum, and you really did us a favor by showing. He also told us that the, the clinical symptomatology regarding Uh, stress, you know, how it affects the gut, how you could get ulcers, how the adrenals will get inflated with too much stress. So the anxiety, the panic, the depression, and all the good things that people get that stress them out will affect them internally. This was the greatness of cellular. This is the meaning of stress. You do not have to hug a tree. Learn about stress from cellular. You'll be better off. Okay. don't become one with the floor. Don't sink into the floor. You don't need to relax that way. For that matter, you do not need progressive relaxation. I don't believe in that either. I think tensing the muscles and relaxing makes you worse than when you started. Learn about stress from the father of stress. You'll be better off. Final, cate- final category uh, would be the seniors. Now, like I said, I have 70 year olds who are in treatment. So what mm-hmm. do we do for them? Simple. We have to look how we can, of course, teach them the ABCs, but also deal with loneliness, deal with repurposing. They have to also understand that in this chapter, if they left, if they became retired, if they're going somewhere, they've got to do something with their life different. If you keep doing what you've been doing, you'll get the same result. I don't care if you're 70 or 17. If you keep doing what you've been doing, you're going to get the same result, as Einstein says The same intellect that brought you to the problem cannot get you out of the problem. So don't repeat the same mistakes. Fundamentally, that's an overview of the three age categories and some of the challenges that they face. And no matter what, to be with the ABCs, you've got to have a certain amount of cognitive stability. So if you're on medication, if you have co-occurring disorders, any of those, you must get stable first. Right. If you want opioid dependence, any kind, get of medication. Yes, if you need it, right. And then come to treat.
1: Right. So the last thing I wanted to talk about, which is I, I do think is a compelling notion, which is your use of storytelling, you know, as a therapeutic device. Um, sometimes you call it, you know, the, the, uh, therapeutic metaphors. But I, I, I found it interesting, you know, that that this is a device that you use as an integral part of your. Um, Therapy. So tell us a little bit more about that.
2: Yes. Well, the story is a great vehicle for joining with the patient because it stimulates their imagination and engages them in a way that uh, um, a plain didactic presentation doesn't. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I use multicultural stories to appeal to the diverse population of clients that I treat. Well, I have a lot of different clients from every culture all over the world. And the unique nature of stories is that they elicit a bond between the teller and the listener. There's a bond. This bond has a neurochemical name. It's called oxytocin, the same chemical that bonds parents to children and people who are in love with one another. That is the moral molecule, what they call that this is the thing that brings people to... And so stories, in this way, when we tell stories, patients can identify more easily with concepts like awareness and change, which are key to a lifestyle of recovery.
1: So let's... let. uh, I think that's a a very interesting concept. So give us a couple of examples of stories that you use.
2: Absolutely. I think uh, some of the ones uh, specifically... uh, One about uh, uh, change uh, would be uh, The Tale of the Sands. It's an old classic Sufi story. Uh, The Sufis are a branch of Islam, and there's a lot of wisdom there. Um, This particular version is probably from the 1800s, but it's still as fresh as it was then. And the story involves a stream coming down from the mountains. And the stream is on its way happily... Pursuing its course until it meets uh, this strange desert, a big expanse of sand. And so it thinks to itself, I'm coming down this mountain, but I need to cross this. But there seems to be a problem. I'm not used to this. So all of a sudden, the voice comes about and says, You can't do it. And it says, what do you said, Wait a minute, I can't do it. The sands themselves are speaking to the stream, and they say, You can't do this. So it's strange. Why not? I always cross where I'm going. He says, you can't do it, because to do it, you have to travel like the wind. He said, travel like the wind, but I'm not a wind. I'm a stream. I don't know anything about traveling in the wind. And even if I did, I said, well, that would mean I wouldn't be a stream. Well, how can I cope with this? I'm very confused. He says, don't be confused. This is what you must do. And the stream is in this quandary, says it's it's ambivalent about this idea of change. It it it's it, it sees too much ambiguity here in this whole picture, and it doesn't know what to do. So the Sands finally counsel says, Listen, if you continue on this path, you'll become nothing but a quagmire. I recommend that you change. And so it the The stream was in this, saying, well, how could I change if that's not me and I'm not a stream? Where am I going to go? How can I do this? And before the stream knew it, he was thinking about maybe there was a time when I was traveling with a cloud. It's possible. And he says, listen, stream, the trouble here is you don't know who you are. And the stream said, what do you mean? I don't know. I know I'm a stream. No, no. You're one-dimensional. All you know about is that you go down mountains, but you don't know how to cross the sands. So he says to the stream, figure it out. You're in trouble. (laughs) What is a big trouble for the stream? And then it it says to itself, Well, maybe that's possible that I have more than one. Maybe, maybe I'm not just a stream. Maybe I could change. Maybe, maybe I could be a vapor. But maybe I could be ice. Each form is another dimension of my personality. And all I thought, why well, I was just a stream. It's like a person thinking, gee, I'm just an alcoholic. That's all I am. No, no, no. You're much more. But you've got to think about it. And so the stream did the thinking, and all of a sudden, the wind catches it in what we call a thermal, which is the warm air taking the condensation up into the clouds. The cloud captures and holds the condensation and it travels with the wind over the sands and deposits the precipitation in the form of rain which begins the process of the stream once again. And that's how the stream continues on the path of life. And so... And, and so, pretty much, that's an idea about change.
1: Yeah, so I think that's a very compelling way to do it. And I think, um, as you've mentioned in our previous conversations, that this is this is a way for a person to really use their imagination to incorporate the lesson in a, in a way that really sticks with you. You make it yours. As as you said, as opposed to saying, well, you have to be changed. You've got to be resistant, re- resilient. You know, you've got to be change hardy, whatever. This this you know, this use of imagination to to drive home the point. I think is a very valuable tool. So I think that um um, well, we could keep going for another hour, Asher. But <laughs> this is where we'll have to take it for today. Um, but I want to thank you uh, for a terrific conversation. As I mentioned earlier, if you want to learn more about Asher, um, you can go to my website, the Rebel Resources website, hit the, the 45 Forward tab, and you'll click on Asher's show. And not only can you listen to it there um, as well, uh, but you can, uh, you'll have the listing of the episode and his, uh, Asher's background and his contact information there. So you can get all of that there. Um, so, folks, uh, once again, uh, tell your friends if they miss my conversation, they can go to voiceamerica.com and search for my show, 45 Forward. You can also listen to it on uh, Apple and Google Podcasts, Spotify, art radio. And as I said before, go to my website, robotresource.com, click on the 45 Forward tab. Um, so... Um, uh, Essentially, that we're we that's a wrap. But I I think we, you gave us some terrific information to think about, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm really glad we have you on there. And it's something I think that you know we as we mentioned at various points, th- these issues are something that affects you know all ages. Um, it doesn't stop you know when you get to an adult. For people who are 45 forward, it's really an important notion that to, to have these uh, therapeutic techniques. Um, and as you and I mentioned before, even if you're a normal person with other issues, this technique can help to solve these issues and move you forward. So be sure to join me uh, next Monday, folks, uh, 12 noon Pacific, uh, 3 p.m. Eastern, when I'll be talking with Scott Possessor. Uh He's a top executive recruiter who has uh, followed the job market for decades. And he'll be talking to me about how careers over a lifetime are changing in an unpredictable market. So, until then, folks, keep moving forward, 45 Forward.
0: Thank you for tuning in to 45 Forward. Please join your host, Ron Rowell for another great show next Monday at 12 noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We wish you a great week.